Hello. So, in the first episode, it was all about the introduction. We decided, I decided to publish the second episode today since cannot losing lose the streak. Right. Okay. So, the next part it deals with first order systems. Uh, if we consider a first order system that is defined as uh, in terms of the transfer function 1 by ts plus 1 then as we already established we shall analyze the system in terms of its response to some standard inputs the standard inputs will always be the unit step unit ramp and unit impulse functions how and when you should choose each of these they will be discussed later okay and there are a few more assumptions you assume that the system is an lti system <coughs> an lti system means it's linear that is it follows homogeneity and superposition then you have time invariance time invariance simply means that you have um let's say you have some property of a system measured at time t then the function y of t that represents the output of the system it shall only depend on the input from that time only so that is time invariance at least that is how i understand it uh, okay so what happens when we apply a unit step input to such a system so think of it this way uh, if we analyze it mathematically then we shall see that the output it comes out to be 1 minus e to the power minus t upon capital T and if you draw the curve for this you would see that it's a very typical response curve so you have a line a curve line that approaches one as time approaches infinity so <clears throat> Yeah, uh, by the time you have, you are four times the time, uh, you know, time constant into the curve, it has already, already reached 2% of the given output. So that can be said as, you know, settled, that the curve is settled. So that is what Ugata, he discusses, it, it discusses that here. And obviously, in terms of the block diagram, you have unity feedback system with the primary block having 1 upon capital T S gain. So, something to be kept in mind is the smaller the time constant, the faster the system responds. That is the time spent by the curve in the transient state that is less. And another important characteristic of the exponential response curve is that the slope of the tangent uh, at t equals 0 is 
1 upon capital T. So that is something to keep in mind. Okay. The output will reach the final value at T equals capital T if it maintained its initial speed of response from equation. Oh yeah, okay. We see that the slope of the response curve C of t decreases monotonically from 1 upon t at t equal to 0 to 0 at t equals infinity. The exponential response curve C of t given by equation 5.3 is shown in figure 5.2. Oh, figure 5.2, okay. In one time constant, the exponential response curve has gone from 0 to 63.2% of the final value. In two time constants, the response reaches 86.5% of the final value. At t equals thrice t, 4t, and 5t, the response reaches 95%, 98.2%, and 99.3% respectively of the final value. Thus, for t greater than or equal to 4t, the response remains within 2% of the final value. As seen from equation 5.3, the steady state is reached mathematically only after an infinite time. In practice, however, a reasonable estimate of the response time is the length of time the response curve needs to reach and stay within 2% line of the final value or four time constants. So you see Ogata here, he established that we will consider the settling time as four times of the time constant. Okay, <clears throat> so that was the basic idea behind the unit step response of first order systems. Now we shall see unit ramp response of first order systems. Since the Laplace transform of unit ramps function is 1 upon s square, so the output c of t comes out to be small t minus capital T plus capital T e to the power minus t upon capital T. This sounds very confusing on a podcast but if you try to find the error signal um, you know the error signal for the steady state error then the error comes out to be capital T the time constant itself so you can say that the curve is asymptotic with a difference of capital T from the test signal. So as t approaches infinity, this e to the power minus t by capital T, it approaches zero, thus the error signal e of t approaches capital T. Okay. So that was the unit ramp response. And then you have the unit impulse response. For the unit impulse response, you use the same method. Laplace of unit impulse is 1. So the output, C of t, it comes out to be 1 upon capital T, e to the power minus t by capital T. The response curve is, as you'd expect, a exponential curve, e to the power minus something, same nature. And so the key takeaways from here would, would were the, in the analysis for the unit ramp input the output c of t was t minus capital t plus 
capital T e to the power minus T upon capital T for unit step input it would be 1 minus e to the power minus t by capital T and for the unit impulse 1 upon capital T e to the power minus t by capital T so it can clearly be seen that unit uh, step sorry uh, we, yeah, unit step function it, that is the best choice for first order systems it can also be seen that the response to the integral of the original signal can be obtained by integrating the response of the system to the original signal and by determining the integration constant of the zero output initial condition. Hmm. This is only because the system is LTI. Okay. Okay, so it's time for second order systems in this section we shall obtain the response of a typical second order control system through step input ramp input and impulse input here we consider a servo system as an example of a second order system okay so uh, the servo system shown in the below figure okay, they have shown a servo system apparently i didn't know a servo system was like this but we'll go with it it consists of a proportional controller and load elements inertia and viscous friction elements suppose that we wish to control the output position c in accordance with the input position r the equation for the load elements is j a second derivative of C plus B times first derivative of C equals capital T J and B those are constants associated with um, two blocks in the diagram and the sum of those is equal to torque produced by the proportional controller whose gain is k by taking the laplace across both so we are doing this in paper as i'm speaking so it's j s square c uh, you know i haven't used c i'll just use x so it's easier j s x the s square x plus b s x equals t and so the output the output is x so the output is x and the input is supposed to be the torque so you're Controlling the position as I said C um, With the help of torque so First of all, we'll calculate the <coughs> Sorry transfer function 
so it appears to be 1 by js square plus bs and so we can now think of it as a block between uh, c of s and r of s so we are assuming one more block mm -hmm. okay so interesting the in the diagram okay okay i get it okay uh listen if you're i don't think anybody's listening to this podcast although i did share it in a very uh focused discord on control theory so i don't hope anyone is listening this is very stupid i'm like looking at the book writing stuff as i'm speaking and yeah it's not helpful so there is a block k there is one more block whose gain is j then there is one more block i don't understand what this is its gain is b and we're getting x on the other side t is between k and j blocks here we have the error signal e then you have r as the input then unity feedback right so overall the transfer function x of s upon r of s is k by js square plus bs so now we have to analyze this second order system with respect to the established test signals right we have step signal and we have oh step signal itself is very long okay i expected nothing less from this <sighs> okay so either way step response of second order system the closed loop transfer function of the system as derived was um, c of s by r of s equals k upon js square plus bs why is there one more k i didn't ask for this k <clears throat> oh, I see why there is a key. So, okay, so the closed loop transfer function of the system is k upon j square plus bs plus k, uh, which can be rewritten as so Ugata is writing it in terms of the I think this was called a standard form might be wrong so if you want to try to find the roots of those it come as the roots are uh, minus b upon 2j 
plus minus root over b by 2j square minus k of j k upon j so that that are those are the roots you can say these are the poles of the system so he's writing those in terms of the poles so the closed loop poles are complex conjugates if b square minus 4jk is less than 0 and they are real if b square minus 4jk is greater than or equal to 0 in the transient response analysis it is easier to write k upon j as omega n square and b upon j as twice sigma where sigma is called the attenuation omega n is called the undamped natural frequency and I'll put this called this epsilon it's called the damping ratio of the system oh yeah there is another thing it's called damped ratio so <clears throat> the damping ratio is the ratio of actual damping B to the critical damping so if you to write the whole function in terms of these constants omega n and epsilon so it becomes omega n square by s times s plus twice epsilon omega n and the closed loop transfer function of the system is c of s by upon r of s equals omega n square by s square plus twice epsilon omega n s plus omega n square this is called the standard form of the second order system the dynamic behavior of the second order system can then be described in terms of two parameters yes exactly exactly um interesting he took an example of a servo and although i don't understand much about servos but i'll just keep the standard form in mind right as i said it's omega n square upon s square plus twice epsilon omega n plus omega n square hmm. Now the behavior can be described in terms of these two parameters. If epsilon is between 0 and 1, then the closed loop poles are complex conjugates and lie in the left half S plane. The system is then called underdamped and the transient response is oscillatory. So for underdamped, the poles that we get, they lie in the left half of the S-plane and they are complex conjugates. So if you make a circle with omega n uh, radius, you'd get them as conjugates, right? So yeah. If epsilon equals to zero the transient response does not die out 
what does it mean the transient response does not die out if the transient response does not die out that means steady state will never be achieved i think that's what ugata means to say if epsilon is equal to one the system is called critically damped okay so we now have cases the under damped case where complex conjugate poles exist we have the undamped case where the system never goes out of the transient state and then we have the critical damped case which is just what it says critically damped okay now we look at the underdamped case for the underdamped case the transfer function can be written as omega n square by s plus epsilon omega n plus j omega d and s plus epsilon omega n minus omega d something to keep in mind here is uh, omega d is the damped frequency uh, omega d exists because of the natural frequency and the damping so omega d's value is omega n times root over 1 minus epsilon square for a unit step input c of s can be written as omega n square divided by s times the denominator and if you try to find the inverse laplace of these uh, you will find that the output is equal to uh, 1 minus 1 by root over 1 minus epsilon square times e to the power minus epsilon omega n t and there is a sinusoid term omega dt plus tan inverse root over 1 minus epsilon square by epsilon the formula is not that important what is important here is that there is a there is an exponential term there is a sinusoid term and for the output both of these terms will come into play so uh, also something to keep in mind is that uh, if you think about oscillations you have generally those frequency of oscillation is found inside the sine term right sine of omega t a sine omega t that represents the natural frequency of oscillation right so here we have the omega d term inside the sine term so the frequency of oscillation is not omega and it's omega d now and this is true for the transient state okay now on to the error signal the error signal will be thus E of t equals R of t minus C of t. So it's just one. So what comes out is just the exponential term and you have 
cos of omega dt plus epsilon by root over 1 minus epsilon square sine of omega dt. So this error signal exhibits a damped sinusoidal oscillation at steady state or at t equals infinity. No error exists between the input and output. If the damping ratio is equal to 1, the response becomes undamped and oscillations continue indefinitely. So the same methodology is applied to undamped systems. The output comes out to be 1 minus cos omega nt and you should see that the error signal is now a sinusoid which means it never dies out. So yeah it represents the undamped natural frequency moreover it's not omega d that is also important if the linear system has any amount of damping the undamped natural frequency cannot be observed experimentally oh so to find the natural frequency of the system we must not have any damping that was obvious but i don't know why did i have an oh moment <laughs> Okay, we just looked at underdamped and undamped. Now we must look at the particularly damped case. Hello, it's been some time since we reviewed Vigata, and we're gonna do that today. So, the last time we talked about this was about second order systems, and we were talking about how they overshoot that during the transient response there is an exponential there's two exponential curves and there's one sinusoid the interaction of which determines its transient response right that's what we talked about last time and hopefully that was okay hopefully that was clear because today we're gonna move to the second part uh, of the discussion it's uh, it's gonna be about higher order systems be, uh, but before that we have to discuss about servo systems with velocity feedback let's get going right uh, so we have discussed that systems can be open or they can be closed closed systems they have a feedback loop right so the feedback is really important to improve in performance. Question is, how do you, uh, you know, determine? How do you determine that your output is going too fast? You know, in a certain way, too fast, too soon, right? How do you determine that your output signal is going too fast, too soon? That you need to slow it down. You find the derivative, you find the velocity, so to say. What happens in reality, though, is that you don't differentiate the output physically. Because, think about it, let us consider there is a noise signal mixed among all of those. What happens near the edges is, is that the noise signal gets worse, system performance suffers, that's why you don't physically differentiate them. What you do instead is that you consider a tachometer. 
a tachometer's output is uh, proportional to let's say the derivative of the output so you put a tachometer in there and it's a DC generator it's frequently used to measure velocity without differentiation right <clears throat> so uh, let's say you consider putting that in your uh, you know big <laughs> feedback system your feedback system already has a positional controller it now needs a velocity controller so we put in a velocity controller and it takes care of the damping in the system you see it's a really special tool it does not change your undamped natural frequency but it changes your damping ratio so that's really helpful huh okay let's move on to next business it's the last standard response of second order systems the impulse response right uh, so if you uh, find the output signal for an impulse response for the impulse response on a second order system you'll find that it's a sinusoid it's a decaying sinusoid right so um, what happens is that for a range of values of the damping ratio which we can by the way control by velocity feedback controller right if we change the damping ratios between values from 0.1 to 1 we see different patterns see different lovely patterns as always the lovely damping ratios are between 0.3 and 0.7 so take care of that take care that your um, system is not critically damped or over damped in which case impulse response never changes sign so that is something to take care of that is impulse response for you let's move on to higher order systems higher order systems yes so uh, analysis of higher order systems it can be very complex if you do it in terms of let's say um, differential equations right it's, it, can, it can get very complex so what we do instead is that we consider it as a mixture of first and second order systems these systems we have already established behaviors for and we can predict how they combine to form the higher order system so let's get on with it so consider a higher order system which has uh, which can be expressed in terms of its transfer function as k times uh, you know zeros m number of zeros in the numerator like s plus a times s plus b times s plus c right till s plus the nth or mth alphabet and then it's similar on the poles s plus p plus s times s plus q times s plus r right so what you can do it do for it is that you can express it in terms of summation of poles so it's you know a by s plus summation of ai by s plus pi so pole analysis is really important for our systems 
Why? Because we can determine how much effect these poles have on the overall system performance. What happens when a pole is located very close to the y-axis? What happens then? It has a larger impact. What happens when it is located very far from the y-axis? It has a smaller impact. What happens when a pole and zero are located close together? They effectively cancel each other out. So these are some patterns we're looking for, right? If we can see these patterns, right? Poles and zeros close together. Poles are located very far away. Uh, or, you know, uh, poles are located very close by. So these are chances that we must recognize when we shall express our higher order systems in terms of lower order ones right so that's what we're looking for yeah okay uh, so now you might ask me where do we see the second order terms right so consider this let's say the poles are all real let's say they're on the left side but there are a few complex conjugate poles. What do the complex conjugate poles do, you might ask? Well, they exist in pairs, so they yield a second order term. Right. So if you put this into the equation and try to express the output, then you'll see that it's the sum of not only exponentials, but also a damped sinusoid. You know, or many damped sinusoids. So damped sinusoids plus exponentials, that pretty much explains higher order systems. Which is, I guess, how epicircles and stuff were theorized. But okay, that's my opinion. Uh, <clears throat> okay. So. Let us assume that our system so far is stable right that it has poles far away from the y-axis so you might ask uh, what happens to those poles are they totally irrelevant are they suffering from existential crisis or do they decay super fast the correct answer would be option three they decay super fast uh, what happens is that these poles in the denominator these determine the steady state response right and the poles of the whole transfer function they yield the exponential transient response terms or damped sinusoidal transport transient ah, ah. <laughs> okay they yield the exponential transient response or the damped sinusoidal transient response so they do not affect the exponents so to say but they do manipulate the residues and as we know the residues in turn they affect how the whole system behaves but not how much I guess but okay you get my point so the next order of business is to determine which poles are dominant
which poles are not and what to do with those dominant poles once we get them right and after that there is a portion of transient response analysis with MATLAB which I'm obviously not going to speak about uh, the next order of business is well what is it yeah the standard responses but I don't think I should speak of standard responses to higher resistance because those are just their own approach yeah I'll talk about the state space approach uh, yeah we're, we're gonna talk about that and then we're gonna speak about how do we respond to disturbances right we have three times of action so we have integral control we have proportional control uh, we have positional control I guess which is proportional control whatever man proportional plus integral control and we have proportional plus integral plus derivative control so we'll talk about these in terms of all the systems we study and yeah that's gonna conclude this chapter hope so at least <laughs> okay see you in the next one